the players know they're getting better and getting stronger by seeing improvements in the weight room, by putting up more weight and hitting the ball harder. They're going to have more confidence and swag whenever they step on the ball diamond to, to go face whoever we're going to play. Two questions they ask, but which one's the first one? Did you win? And then the second one is, how did you do? You only have the chance to be a first-time head coach once. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the High School Coaches Club. I'm your host, Max Price. As always, super excited that you're tuning in. Be sure to share this episode on social media, leave a rating, subscribe to the newsletter, and maybe even pick yourself up a sticker. Hop on over to highschoolcoachesclub.com. Here in episode 39, we welcome in the head baseball coach at Wright City High School in Wright City, Missouri, Ryan Ratterman. He was recommended, and this is really cool, by a former opposing player. Wouldn't high school sports be even better if all of us could say that opposing players looked up to us as coaches? Well, Ryan fits that bill. We'll get into all sorts of amazing coaching details from program standards to leadership, exactly what Mudita is and what it means to write city baseball. Can't wait for all of you to learn from Coach Ratterman. As always, a monumental thank you for tuning into the program today and a huge thank you to our loyal sponsor you already know by now but just in case i'm talking about will and the gang over at netting pros designing some facility improvements check specializing in fabrication and installation of custom netting check what about digital graphic wall padding you bet windscreen turf turf protectors benches cubbies and more absolutely obviously baseball and softball are huge markets for netting pros but they have customers in football, soccer, lacrosse, track and field golf courses, and just about any sport you can imagine. They are truly making facilities better all across the country, providing high quality products and services to recreational college, professional, and of course, high school facilities, fields, courses, and stadiums throughout the country. You can contact them today by calling 844-620-2707, emailing info at nettingpros.com, visiting their website, nettingpros.com, or by checking them out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. They're amazing, and they're improving programs one facility at a time. So let's dive in. It's episode 39 with Ryan Ratterman. All right, I'm joined by Ryan Ratterman. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for inviting me. It's, uh, it's an honor. It's pretty cool the way that your name came to me, uh, just uh, you know, kind of a Twitter follower that I have um, reached out and said that I need to have you come on the show. And he's actually a former player who played against your team. So that's kind of a cool, kind of a cool little setup there. Yeah, when I heard that information, I was asking right away who that was. And uh, he's a he's a conference rival. He ends up being a conference rival. They took second this year in conference and it's uh levi he's a head coach at ellsbury high school so it's uh truly an honor to have a competitor um think highly of you and uh, we've talked a lot of shops so um i reached out to him multiple times to thank him for put my name out there yeah well it's it's cool to have you on and i appreciate it um I'm, I'm gonna go kind of against where i normally start things um and where i normally go i don't you know, obviously we're both baseball guys and I try to avoid getting too deep into sports specific stuff because there's so much more that goes into it that that can be helpful for people. But uh, when we were talking or when you sent info kind of off air, um, you you mentioned how your teams have stolen, you know, minus the COVID year. So basically two years uh, stolen, like something like 320 bases. Uh, at almost 90%. So I've got to ask you, just to begin the show, what are you guys doing that other people aren't doing to steal so many bags? Um, it, oh, 
Great question, but it's honestly, it's all steelbases.com stuff, um, Matt Tallarico, but um, I do fortunately have the Jimmies and the Joes at, at Wright City High School. Um, we do have some team speed, but it's part of our deliberate practice that we do every single day, and uh, we get really good at it, and um, we steal second as much as we steal third, and like you said, we steal at like a 87% clip, and... We have multiple guys um, with double-digit steals, and my goal is to get everybody at least a stolen base um, throughout our roster. And I haven't done that yet, but um, I'm definitely going to try. That's for sure. Yeah, every every once in a while, there's a roster. It's kind of hard to get. There's, there's one or two <laughs> yes. kids, or it's yes. becomes a little bit more difficult. I we use uh, steelbases.com too. Matt Tellerico's amazing the content that he provides. But um, one of the things that you know he talks about a lot in podcasts and interviews and clinics and then obviously within the curriculum on steel bases is um, like the idea as a coach of removing the fear of failure from your players. And obviously if you're stealing bases, like I remember back to my high school days, that felt like a really big risk. And if I get thrown out, everyone's going to be really upset with me. Can you get into that? Like how you, how you remove that fear of failure from players? Absolutely. So we try to do um, some type of inner squad every single day. And I have them have the green light no matter what um, when we enter squad. And that only makes our pitchers better, too, at holding runners. Um, so they know we're going. Our catcher knows we're going. And if they get thrown out, um, I know Tallarico said it, like, just you get one freebie, one get-out-of-jail-free card, and you head back to your base. Uh, no harm, no foul. But then also in games, um, like, I, I'm really to the T in regards to steelbases.com. We kind of have our, our jump system and what your number is and if that was a good jump or not. And we have our stopwatches out and what guys can steal what bases against pitcher-catcher combos. But um, you'll never see me, especially because if I know a guy that isn't very comfortable stealing, I'll give him the steal sign. And if he gets thrown out, like that's on me. You just have to take ownership in that. And you'll never see me harp on a guy um, for getting out because I feel like we're going to have multiple opportunities to score again. So that's just kind of my philosophy. And I send a lot of guys in, in counts. And I have, of course, players that question it. And I kind of tell them my theory. And we have a good heart-to-heart conversation. And they get it. And it's kind of been successful for us. So, Yeah, it's uh, in high school baseball, I think, especially with a lot of pitchers and catchers you get. I think a lot of times – as a high school base runner, you're, you're kind of scared and it takes a while for, to kind of get that out of you until you, but, but eventually you realize like a, a lot of high school pitchers and catchers aren't that great. And you can <laughs> steal a lot of bases off of them. As long as you're paying attention, you're getting good jumps and all the things that you talked about there. But um, I, it's something that I harp on with our players a lot too, is I, I'm like, even if they're good, like it's still really hard to have everything go right to throw a base runner out. Like just, Think about how often our own team allows stolen bases. Like it's it's really hard to be good against teams right. that can steal bases. Like it's very very difficult. Yeah, perfect pitch. I mean, even a even a a pitch out it has to be a perfect pitch out. The transfer from the catcher, putting a spot throw on, catch it and then tag. I mean, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Yeah, just a lot that goes into it. So anyway, I just wanted to ask and see steelbases.com. I use it too. I don't know if any we're not sponsored by the Tallarico or anything, but man, that guy, he pumps out amazing stuff. So um let's dive into to you, Ryan. Um can you kind of take us back to your own high school career? Where did you play? What was your experience like? Sure. Um 
I'm from Warrington High School. It's a it's getting bigger, but it was a small town high school. Uh, three sport athlete, football, basketball, baseball. Uh, looking back on it now, I was probably a better football player than I was a baseball player. But uh, I walked on to St. Charles uh, Community College um, and then transferred and finished up at Fontbonne University, which is a D3 school here in St. Louis. Um, in all honesty, wasn't that great of a player. I could swing it a little bit, but um, didn't really know what I wanted to do. I kind of did everything bass backwards in regards to um, what I wanted to do with my life. I thought I was going to play baseball forever like we all do. And uh, – <laughs> kind of jumped around, didn't really know what I wanted to do for a living. So I kind of went to physical therapy and kind of worked as a physical therapist aide and then um, was coaching football actually my junior year in college um, in 2009 and kind of been coaching something ever since. And then uh, finally some of the higher educators, uh, like a superintendent said, you need to finally go back to school. So this is actually only my third year teaching, but I've been coaching since 2009 and I've coached football, basketball, baseball, softball, um, at Wright city. So one of our, one of our assistant coaches pre I think predates me at our high school by like four or five years. And he's only now in his, I think his second year of teaching. Cause he kind of took, it sounds like a really similar path. Like he kept coaching, but kind of doing some other things and, and then, and then got into it and he's, he's been awesome. So you have a, a obviously pretty good background, um, as far as coaching goes in, I know you, you got to coach at a couple different schools that were pretty successful, um, Francis Howell, Christian Brothers. Can you kind of get into uh, what your experiences were like before you became a head coach? Yeah, so I think um, those two schools, and when I emailed you, I think arguably those two schools in the St. Louis area are the, the best baseball schools. Um, when I was at CBC, I don't know if you watched the College World Series, but uh, the kid that pitch for Vanderbilt. Christian Little was only 17. He graduated early from CBC. <laughs> and then could you imagine him as a senior at the high school? Level? Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah no kidding. <laughs> um, Curtis Byrne was at T uh, he's at TCU now, but coached <laughs> yeah. him. Um, Mark Veerling just graduated from Mizzou. He played second base for Mizzou. Um, Zach Hunsicker was at Francis Howell. He's at university of central Florida. So I know what, I've seen what uh, really good baseball players are and at the D1 level and how they work and how coaches handle their players and what a practice looks like and what it looks like to have a winning tradition. Because um, when, when you say Francis Howell around here, it's it's prestigious in every sport. Like it's one of the biggest schools in our area, but uh, they win at everything. And then Christian Brothers College is a, a big private school, a big sports private school here. And it seems like they win. If it's not Francis Howell, it's CBC in some sport, in all honesty. Um, but just a winning tradition and, and what it takes to win. And so uh, Tony Perkins at Francis Howell, um, I think, has four state championships. And Mason Horn at CBC has um, two or maybe Perkins has five for like a total of seven or something like that. But um, CBC took fourth in state this year. But bringing that winning tradition of to Wright City, a little smaller school, which was kind of crosstown rivals from Warrington, um, was kind of a big deal because my first year at Wright City, I was the fourth coach in four years for those seniors. Mm. Um, and they never had consistency. They never had 
I, I hate to say it because I know all the head coaches that were uh, there previous and they just moved on for bigger and better things for themselves and their family. It has nothing to do against them and, and Wright City, but somebody that cared and wanted Wright City to be great. Um, and I think luckily because of my resume, my background, the kids bought in way faster because they knew I coached at CBC and Francis Howe. And so they're like, oh, my gosh, you coached there? Like, that's kind of the shock and awe I had when I first showed up and um, started doing things. And uh, that's just kind of how it went. So I got I got lucky with, with a good group of seniors. We won conference my first year, and then COVID, and we won conference my third slash second, however you want to look at it. So Yeah, I, I struggle with that, too. I'm like, am I in year – did I just finish year four? Did I just finish year five? I'm right. not really sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Gonna be, you know, be like, you know, 70 someday and be like, I coached for, you know, 41 years or 42. Yeah. I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Uh, so can you get into Wright City? So, you know, I I, I know nothing right. about Wright City and I know very little about Missouri and I'm sure a lot of listeners won't know much either. So can you get into not only like where it is and what the town is like, but then also the high school too, how big it is, how many kids are there? There sure. and what the high school's like. Um, Wright City is an hour west of St. Louis, maybe an hour 15, hour and a half, depending on how you drive it. Um, we have about 500 to 550 kids at the high school. Um, our free and reduced lunch is, I think, uh, about 50 to 60 percent, depending on the incoming class. Um, tons of athletes, but um, there's no they used to be known as like a farm town, but now everybody just basically sleeps there, right? Sleeps in Wright City and then drives off to drives off to work. So we really don't have the identity because um, about 15 minutes east is Winsville. And then uh, that's where like all your restaurants and there's a movie theater and it's just popping. And then um, for some reason, they kind of just leap over Wright City and move to Warrington because Warrington's still bigger than Wright City. But we always have the athletes. Um, luckily, I think we're in a good spot, and this is why I think we're competitive in conference play and um, when we face bigger schools is that there's a lot of select baseball in our area. Um, and so I think only five to seven kids out of my 30-man roster uh, don't play summer ball of some sort. And so um, I'm fortunate that they kind of know baseball before I ever uh, get a hold of them, where I know um, a lot of schools in our conference, a lot of kids just work on the farm, if you will, for, for their summer job. And the only baseball they play is when baseball starts up in February. So I, I noticed, I've mentioned this before, I think, but I've noticed like after the, after 2020, as kids came back, we'd have... Like, uh, you know, kids who were sophomores this year and even kids who are juniors and like simple things after not being able to play baseball for a year, like, um, you know, where to throw the baseball, um, how to do a relay, like really simple things that have always kind of taken for granted because it's just kind of built in as they came in, they learned it and we moved along. And all of a sudden at like varsity baseball, I'm having to like stop and teach kids things that like I was always released to kids just knowing it sort of a thing. So I get what you're saying. Like it makes a huge difference when kids uh, have played and they know what they're doing when they come in, because if you 
are, you know, if you only play in the spring and you only see your guys in the spring, like that's a lot to teach in a short amount of time. Yeah. And then also try to play and win baseball games. Like that's a lot. Absolutely. Especially, uh, so this year I only had one senior graduate. And so, um, my juniors are still technically, it's weird, but they're still technically sophomores, right? Or freshmen in all honesty, cause they didn't have a sophomore yeah. season. And then my sophomores never had a season underneath me. And so actually just creating buy-in because my, my quote unquote sophomore class, um, there's like 10 or 11 of them and they've never played for me. So they, they didn't really get the system and, and how things work and how we do things. It's, and I looked to some of them for some varsity playing time and it was tough to get them bought in. Yeah, so let's let's go back then to when you took over. So you you mentioned that they'd had four coaches in four years, or I guess the, they had three coaches in three years, and then you came in becoming their fourth coach in their four years there, at least for the senior crew. Right. So that's a lot of turnover. That's that's you know you mentioned you you having the pedigree of having coached at those other two schools like that probably helped with the buy in. But when you took over, they're like, hey Ryan, you're the new head coach. Like, what were your first moves? What'd you first do when you had the job? Believe it or not, some of the best advice that I got from from Mason Horn at CBC was uh, you only have the chance to be a first-time head coach once, right, unless you move schools. Um, but that was getting guys into the weight room. Um, obviously, I met with them first, kind of told them my background and things like that. But so I never did like a preseason like throwing routine or like open gyms. Um, for like just front toss and hitting in the cage. And I think that was part of the buy-in too. They saw how dedicated I was and wanted these guys to be great and um, put in the extra work of just open gyms and weight rooms and a throwing routine and um, just simple things like that and not and doing things the right way. So um, we have now – um, we have this jersey that we earn for community service and that group of seniors my first year um, messed up a couple times in regards to their grades and not just the seniors, but the school or the team. And so one of the practices, we just sat down and wrote um, an apology letter to the teacher that they had a, a DR and F in. And so um, just kind of taking care of the little things, because ultimately, um that's what matters anyways. So we just got uh, black alternate jerseys. We got to wear them for the first time this year. So I want to get into what you do. How do kids, how do kids earn the right to be able to wear the black alternates? Because we have them too. And we've just used them as an alternate Jersey, but I kind of, when I was, when I heard you say, I was like, Hmm, I wonder if I could implement something like that. It sounds pretty cool. Our black ultimate jerseys is, is huge because black is not part of our color pattern at Wright city. And I had to send an email to the superintendent, um, of why we quote unquote need these and why we want these. And so we're right city and all of our stuff has WC like on our shirts and stuff that we give out to students. Well, the kids, because they're cooler than me and, and stuff like that, they say dub C like D U B like C like wins like W's. And so, um, our black uniform says dub C on it with our, our logo and then obviously our numbers and stuff like that. And so it was something really cool that none of the teams really have. And so we did a lot of uh, community service to start out just around the school um, and picking up trash and um, 
a lot of stuff around our field prep and we got a new windscreen out in left field and making our dugouts and stuff look better. Um, and we also had a certain grade point average. Now it probably wasn't as high as I would like it to be, but you got to start somewhere. But luckily we were at that, um, that number. And so we, we earned it. And then um, we decided to wear it for conference games only. And I told them that if we're going to wear this thing, we better win in them because it literally has <laughs> dub C on it. So we have to have to do something about it. But um, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. the teachers came to me before season started because, like I said, it's my third year. And um, you know that the kids are doing the right thing because they're always excited when baseball season rolls around um, at Wright City because – I don't know if some, I'm sure some of my baseball players are, are turds in the classroom as well, but uh, they're excited for baseball season because of just the way we do things luckily at, at, at our school. So um, it makes, it makes the kids feel good too. That's something that I think some people outside of maybe high school sports don't fully grasp is how, how we can like leverage our position as coaches to help improve kind of the quality of what's happening inside the actual school building too, because I think a lot of times from the outside, people might look in and just think we're, you know, you're just coaching baseball, getting guys better at baseball, helping them become better people along the way, of course, too. But I think that there's kind of a missing piece that maybe leaders or anyone who didn't play high school sports or just people outside of it who maybe not, they maybe don't realize how well we can use the um, opportunities for kids to play our sports to then make their experience in school better by, like you mentioned, um, things like, you know, if you're struggling classes, working on that, if you're, you know, reaching out to teachers, if there's things that haven't gone so well. And so, um, I don't know, I just think you, I, it sounds like you're doing a really good job at that of, of using your position as a baseball coach to then improve the quality of what's happening inside actual classrooms. I'm trying. I mean, it's a, it's an everyday struggle, but as, as you know, um, <laughs> some of the the best things in life, especially I've only been coaching head coach for three years, but I've been a part of Wright City since 2009 in some fashion, but uh, been invited to weddings and actually got invited to a bachelor party, which was interesting. And, um, <laughs> and so seeing, seeing former players have kids and, and get married and getting invited to that stuff is, is the reason I do this. I mean, it really is. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. It's uh, it's kind of when those relationships pay off. And so, when you're looking at uh, a program, you said, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but you said you have about 35 kids on your roster on a given year. Uh, about 30. 30. Okay. Yeah. So with with 30 players, how many assistant coaches are you able to have within the program? Um, so when I first started, I only had one assistant coach, and then kind of did some some winning and kind of did some coaching recruiting and actually had a volunteer coach. Um, he's almost 70 years old, kind of coached in college and wanted to give back. And so he's a true volunteer coach, but he doesn't miss anything. And then uh, I have two other assistants. So it's me and then now three assistants. So four total for 30 kids. Those, uh, I tell you what, those old guys oh, who are willing to do it without pay, uh, I have found they tend to be the most reliable and oftentimes the sort of like best coaches because they've seen and heard it all and they can, 
I don't know, through my experience in it, we've had a, a couple who are able to um, help me a ton in like letting me know, hey, just like pulling you aside almost as if they're coaching you of like, hey, just so you know, I, this, you know, you might want to think about this or something like that. I don't yeah, know. A, Those guys tend to be just lifesavers in a program. He's a diamond in the rough and um, nothing's better, especially when he first got on is I trusted him just because of his resume and I kind of needed him to kind of do a cannonball into our program because I literally gave him the outfielders and said, go. Um, I said, you have, you have 20 minutes. I don't care what you do. Uh, just go make them better. And uh, you should see some of the charts that, that he gives back to me after practices, after we evaluate it's after evaluating his players. It's, it's ridiculous. Uh, Coach Horner um, is a diamond in the rough. He's a godsend and, and we love him to death in our program. That's for sure. Yeah, so you one thing that you'd mentioned to me, and I know you didn't come up with this, but you're the first guy that we've had on here who has mentioned it. So I want to let you get into it. Um, and the word, the word I'm talking about is mudita. Can you get into what that is and what how it's part of your program and how it came about? Yeah, so um, it came from Coach Murphy at, at Alabama softball. He, I think, obviously he didn't create the word, but I feel like he's the one that made it popular. Um, and some of his podcast interviews, and I think they literally have a sign in his locker room, and he shows up to the ABCA baseball clinics, but I've seen him speak at a few softball clinics as well because um, I'm the assistant softball coach at Wright City also. And um, so what it means is having vicarious joy for your teammates, um, so basically sacrifice for your brother. And my first year, uh, we kind of had two hashtags. It was hashtag earn history and hashtag Mudita. And since you asked about Mudita, we'll kind of go into that because seniors kind of at, at Wright City or at any school, if you will, think that they deserve the starting position because it's, it's my time, right? And so mm -hmm. I had some freshmen that um, – were pretty good. I had four freshmen that ended up starting for me my first year. And um, the guys kind of weren't having it. I told them at the end of the day, I said, your stats won't matter. We, we preach it all the time. But what it comes down to is wins and losses. And what happens when you walk the hallways at Wright City the next day after the game? There's two questions they ask, but which one's the first one? Did you win? And then the second one is, how did you do? Right? Mm -hmm. um, yep. And so we kind of had that mantra because Wright City never really won anything for a while. And so um, that's why our other hashtag was earn history. So we had to put in work to to drop banners, um, which is our now new hashtag and things like that is to drop banners. But um, so having sacrifice for your brother and – What's nice about baseball, as much as I hate it, is sometimes numbers don't lie. And when you have a, a catcher that's hitting 196 and then you got a guy that's um, tearing it up at the JV level, you kind of give him that, that platoon spot start. And um, it kind of all started at um, a game away at New Haven my first year. Um, I DH'd for my catcher. He was hitting 196, and I put a um, sophomore in there for him, and he went – no, I put a junior in there that um, wasn't very good defensively but could swing the bat a little bit. 
So this is kind of a little double-edged sword. He uh he ended up going two for four with a home run that day. Okay. Oh, there you and go. So that happened, and there's two things I saw that came out of this. Is uh, the catcher came to me. So our JV plays after our varsity, like no matter what, unless it's just a varsity tournament. And so the varsity catcher came to me and was like, hey, uh, I just didn't know, like, why I got DH'd for it's the first time. And we were probably midseason-ish. I was like, hey, man, like, he's been swinging it well, and he ended up hitting a home run today. And, like, you can't argue with that. And he's like, I know, I just I just wish. And we kind of had a heart-to-heart, and he understood it. But then also, too, uh Kids don't realize how much you see when you're actually coaching in the third base box. So the kid that hit the home run, um, it was the first of the year for the team. Okay. Well, our best player was our shortstop. He started every day at uh, John Wood Community College. uh, And he was the last guy off the bench. And it was our best player. And we ended up winning the game, I think, by like seven or something like that. Well, I pulled them off to the side, and I said, hey, man, what's going on? I'm like, you and uh, you and him are pretty close. Like, they worked out all the time together. And he's like, yeah, I just, I just wanted to be the first one to hit the home run this season. And I was like, <laughs> does that even matter? Like, everybody knows that you're the best on the team. Like, when you think Wright City Baseball, they say your name. And uh, he's like, no. So that's when Mudita kind of really had a heart-to-heart classroom talk that next day. And so um, now it's such a thing now that we have it on the back of our hats. Um, We have a nice pretty hat that says Mudita on the back. So we don't have any last names or numbers or anything. And so um, one of my favorite texts that I've gotten from one of my players this year, he will be a senior. He was my two-hole hitter, and um, he texted me probably with a week left of the season um, saying hashtag Mudita, and it was a screenshot of the top leaders in sacrifices um, in the area, in the St. Louis area, and he was second. He was like four behind. Well, um, in our email, like I said, we like to bunt and run and just move guys over, and he was our – best bunter if not second best bunter and shot me a a text with a screenshot of sacrifices he's like i'm going to lead this category before the end of the year and that's my two-hole hitter that probably wants to swing it more i'm sure but uh he played every position but catcher and first base um without a doubt i mean maybe he hated me behind the scenes but uh He's a true Medita player. I gave him the Medita player of the year. But, I mean, how many kids in programs send their coach a text message say they want to – because a sacrifice means you're out, right? Like, you get out. And so – but that's a true sacrifice for a brother, and um, he wanted to lead the category and wanted his name at the top of the list in, in the St. Louis area. So it's it's become a thing, and uh, now teachers ask what it is and, and stuff like that. So – um, if you ask a kid, they'll, they'll tell you what it is. And it's, it's pretty special to me and, and the program. So that's, that's for sure. Well, one of the cool things about it too, you, you know, you talk about having it on the back of your hats. I imagine that then 
as guys are wearing those hats around the community, as they're wearing them around, you know, the school building or anything like that, people are probably doing what I'm doing. And like, what does that mean? Like, what is, what in the heck is moved? Right, they're not thinking right city Muti. that doesn't make right. sense what does that mean and so then you're giving this platform to your players to like explain it and like a lot of things when you explain it to somebody you learn it better and i imagine you start buying into it more as well and so it kind of probably becomes a self-perpetuating thing within your program which ends up being really cool for you guys because you're getting all these guys who start probably becoming really proud of it like you're mentioning you got a, a, a hitter who's like i'm gonna lead the state in this thing i'm gonna lead the state in sacrifices and like you said i don't think there's any there's any <laughs> player or person who's like that's what i want right. to do like of course you don't want to right. do that um it, it's a big deal I, I love it that's for sure so you mentioned that you do a, a player of the a mudita player of the year is that is that like at the team awards thing at the end of the year when you give it that is, out yeah it's a team award so we give like mvp silver slugger gold glove cy young um mudita player of the year and then um lou brock award for most stolen bases so I, think I was I was wondering if you put some sort of stolen base thing in there because I think that would be a pretty cool one too. Yeah, like a lot of the kids, uh, I kid you not, my first year, like Lou Brock, and I was like, oh my gosh, look him up. Like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man, gotta get into that. That's hilarious. So you know, it's so obviously Mudita is is a big part of the program and the culture and everything that you're building down there. And when you took over, did you come in with like a, I don't know, like a. a a uh, thing in your mind of like here's going to be like the standards of our program or the principles of our program here's what right city is going to be all about or is that something that's just kind of come along i don't know more naturally since you took um, over i think because like i said i've been coaching since 2009 in some fashion and and working underneath coaches at cbc and francis Howell. i've always been like adding to my um handbook if you will uh the pack handbook and so i always had a, an idea of what our vision was what our mission would be um our expectations and like our standards um but in the kids one of these days one of these years i guess i'm gonna hand out the actual handbook and like gonna have quizzes on it and to make sure they're like bought in but the kids have an idea of what that is of what our um, our vision is and our coach's mission and our expectations. So I think so. I don't think I was as green. Like I wasn't like, sometimes you hear on these podcasts, um, like, yeah, I was done with college baseball. And then all of a sudden I became a head coach and I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> right. Like how often do you hear that? Yeah. Where, yeah, yeah exactly. Where I felt like I, I was, <laughs> I was ready to become a head coach. Um, I think I learned from, two of the best. Uh, my college coach, Coach Good at Fompon University was really good. Uh, we had a good successful program there. And so um, I was ready. I was ready for the reins and I was ready to, to earn history and, and help these kids. Uh, because to be honest, like at Wright City, we were a bunch of nobodies who were setting out to be somebodies. And so um, I think we're slowly starting to turn some heads and be some giant slayers for sure. Yeah, I think a lot of people, like you mentioned, they take over a program and they they go back and you know as they're looking back later in their life, like man, I I definitely was not ready for that position at that time. And I think, like you mentioned, like you having this time to coach 
um, obviously for two like really successful programs. And then, you know, within those programs, two coaches who um, clearly at some level must know what they're doing to be able to be as successful as they've been for so long. And so like Butch Chaffin has mentioned before this idea of like speeding up your maturation process by learning through like observing other people and how, how valuable that is. So then like, let's look back at your time at Francis Howell and or Christian Brothers College High School. Like what are some of those like big lessons that you took away that you felt prepared you to where when you took over at head coach at Wright City, you knew that you were ready to take over at Wright City? Yeah, good question. Um, I think just the way practice plans uh, went, it wasn't too... I know it sounds crazy, like too in depth and, and not much teaching. Now, granted, they had for sure the Jimmies, the D1 Jimmies and the Joes. And so I really took away of like, let your players play. Um, now, yes, uh, myself and the coaching staff call pitches and uh, picks and, and things like that and uh, defensive positioning, but uh, just kind of letting them play and, and doing some fundamental stuff. But, um, let the athletes, let the athletes be athletes. And so I also think too, is having the, the confidence level of, I think we're getting to the point now at, at, at Wright city where I feel like we are, when we step onto a ball field. Um, I feel like people know that we're doing some things. And so we kind of have that swag, if you will, and um, that we're here to beat you. And I think that comes from, letting them play, having the confidence, seeing and tracking data. Coach Perkins at Francis Howell is, is old school, and he kind of has some, I think, just radar guns and uh, some plyo balls and stuff like that. But uh, at CBC, um, each kid was required to buy a blast motion sensor. Um, and so everybody hit off Rapsodo. Um, and so just tracking and seeing kids getting better um, has kind of been a big thing. And we don't have the money for kids to buy blast motion sensors, but uh, I have one of my own and I kind of have everybody use the same bat and kind of use um, the same data in that regards um, to better them, to make sure that the players are getting better. And if the players know they're getting better and getting stronger by seeing improvements in the weight room, by putting up more weight and hitting the ball harder, they're going to have more confidence and swag whenever they step on the ball diamond to, to go face whoever whoever we're going to play. I, I'm glad you mentioned that that last part about blast sensors. So we're in a kind of somewhat similar boat in that regard where we like I don't have we don't have the money and our, our players as individuals as individual families certainly as a collective group they're not going to have the money to go out and everybody have their own blast sensor right and so I, I like the the idea of you know, trying to coach and have data, but also be on a budget. So we've actually, we've done the same thing that sounds like you do. We, we take one blast sensor that we have and we actually hand, we end up hand tracking the data. Yep. So we pick out, you know, <laughs> like, I don't know, let's, let's focus on bat speed and, and, you know, I don't know, attack angle today. And so literally guys are sitting there as their partners hitting and they're just jotting down the numbers as they go. And then I'll have like a student aide or myself later, go toss it into the computer later or, Finally, near the end of this past year, I finally realized just to skip all that other work and just have the computer at practice yep. and have them entered in there straight straight into it. But yeah, man, finding ways to get access to that stuff and live within your budget is, I think, one of the big secrets to 
what most of us do at the high school level. I know there's some high schools that have a lot of money and, and can kind of run things a little bit differently, maybe even more like a college. But for us, um, we've got to find ways to be really good while living within the means of yes, our school's absolutely. limited budget. Absolutely. Um, do you guys have anything else that you do that's kind of special in terms of um, uh, either either the fundraising side of things or in terms of making things that you do have work better than, than maybe they were intended for? Um, man, we've gotten lucky in my three years in regards to fundraising. So we don't do anything special because – I don't think kids are very good communicators and go sell gold cards or knock on doors like I used to in high school and sit outside yeah. gas stations and solicit and sell things. Um, but we, oh, it's it's been a lifesaver. We have one day a year that we sit in a classroom. It's called an hour-a-thon. And mm-hmm. kids bring in 25 names and numbers that they think people are going to answer and it's no paperwork on my end. There's no transfer of, of goods. Um, we literally beg people for money. We ask for um, any, I think the lowest is like 10, but um, we do it for an hour. And last year we raised $7,000 in an hour um, just for asking for money. And <laughs> um, it's, it's kind of crazy. So that's my secret. I don't have I don't have a, a horse racing night. I don't have mouse races or a trivia night. It's a one day before school starts. Before school starts. Before the season starts, so we kind of have the money to buy like whatever we want that season. Um, so I think we're going to buy two um, junior hack attacks. I think is going to be our our purchase. Nice. And so, um, yeah, man. No, I probably though when this. Yes, freshman group graduates like it'll be a new breed and the kids probably won't have anybody that want to donate money to them so i'll probably have to find a new way but right now the um the money's flowing if you will and um it's working for us but uh i wouldn't say anything i mean i'm a big baseball rebellion guy so we have rebels racks kind of all over the place uh drive line with uh plyo balls um the weighted balls the the command trainers, um, the axe bats. I think the kids know that what we have is what big schools and big leaguers are doing. So I think that creates buying as well. Yeah, I think so too. I, you mentioned earlier, like having alternate uniforms, uh, sprucing up your your ballpark a little bit, adding windscreens, then obviously all the, the player development stuff. It kind of builds this almost like major league again i hate to keep using butch chaffin if he's listening he's probably chuckling they gotta owe him some money or something <laughs> like that or he's gonna owe me some but he the, that idea of like making your experience at right city the closest thing you can make it to kind of right. like a major league yeah. experience for the kids because obviously for all of us our kids aren't going to go play major league baseball right. you may during the course of your career maybe one or two get there and that'll be the most amazing thing ever, but it just statistically it's, it's a 0% chance basically for everybody. Right. So anything we can do to make their experience better. We did the hour thon for the first time this year, because with uh, normally we sell like oranges and grapefruit and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it, it, and so with COVID and everything and the rules and, and going in, you know, I just didn't see what it's till we tried the hour thon for the first time. I, 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 I almost just like slapped myself. Like this is so Easy. dumb. And so yeah. easy. And it took one hour of my life and I never had to think about it again. 
and boom, you know, a, a bunch of money goes into our account and that's literally the end of it. Right. No, like you're saying, like, I don't have to take boxes of oranges to people. I don't have to arrange for this semi-truck to drop, like literally nothing, one hour and we're done. It's just, it is unbelievably make incredible. Make sure none of the kids stole gold cards for themselves and count. Yeah, man, it's, <laughs> everybody, everybody listening, do the hour and it's it's ridiculous. One thing that um, uh, the guy who, who who kind of was our contact for that he mentioned, which is a really good idea, which is as as kids do it to um, collect the phone numbers at some oh. point. So as like your graduating seniors go out, um, and then you still have the connections to those people, and who knows how many will still do it? Because a lot of them would only do it because oh, it's my you know my cousin Johnny. Right. Wants, okay, fine, or my niece or nephew. But some of them still might, and so he he recommended doing that. We of course didn't do it, but <laughs> I just think long term, like that would be a smart thing to do is have that database of graduating seniors play, and then you can kind of divvy those those people up in the other yeah, groups or uh, other kids lists. But um, yeah, man, yeah, anyone listening. The hourathon, it seems so dumb and it is so dumb, but it works. Yeah. Like it just absolutely works. And like you, you know, you have 30 kids or so and you got seven grand in an hour. We have 45, we got eleven grand in an hour. Like it's it's just dumb. It's I so know. dumb. <laughs> I just yeah, but yeah, dealing with cards and cash and checks and all this stuff. Oh man, nope. it's fantastic. Can't recommend it enough. Um, man, let's get into um, a couple more things. The, the main thing I want to get into kind of as we get here is within within programs, obviously, we have assistant coaches that do a lot. But then, obviously, we need players to be able to lead at some level as well. Um, and so you mentioned that within your practices, even you're, you're having a lot of I don't know if freedom is the right word, but you're you're doing a lot of stuff where you're allowing kids to play. And then I just kind of picture the practice in my mind where you're kind of pulling kids aside and things like that and having conversations with them, especially when you're doing inner squad stuff. Um, so then what are you doing within your program? Are you doing anything explicit or implicit to try to kind of build leadership qualities within some of your guys? Not as much as I probably should. Um, it's so tough to quote unquote find time. Uh, I don't know how now granted they're in, they're in college and it's kind of their job with like Corbin and, and stuff like that with the classroom talk and getting guys in the weight room oh, yeah. and practice all at the same day. But next year, me and my assistant have already talked like we are going to do class because this will be our second year with all the assistants. Um, and we kind of, have a system uh, thanks to my best friend and uh, kind of head assistant that I brought on probably the best hire I've ever made. And so we kind of have a, an idea of how everything's going to go next year. And so we're going to have classroom talk and we're going to get in the weight room and practice is only going to be maybe an hour and a half because we've already done what we've done. We did a lot of installing last year with, uh, with everything defensively and, um, to keep adding on offensively to, to ratty ball. And so unfortunately I don't have a great answer with that. I don't do anything um, crazy. I kind of just say, I do pull guys aside. You're probably picturing what practice kind of looks like. Cause I kind of do have the freedom a little bit. Um, I'm not a defensive guy whatsoever. That's why I brought in uh, coach Dameron. <laughs> um, he kind of, I'm not a pitching guy either, which is why coach Dameron's also here. And so he, I'm sure if people uh, showed up, um, people probably think it's his program because he does a lot of talking and, and coaching in the fundamental side of that. And I, I'm an offensive guy. And so um, 
but pulling guys aside and kind of telling them my soon to be seniors, um, just having conversations like, Hey man, like we can't be, can't be doing that. Like, Hey, you, you need to go like, maybe you should go talk to little Jimmy and he's kind of struggling right now. I know you've been there before because you were a freshman starting for me and you've had some ups and downs and probably more downs. So like, why don't you go tell him how you handled it? Because it's totally different coming from me. Um, I would say a little bit of, of that, but I wouldn't say we're doing like a, like what drives winning, like course, if you will. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. One thing, one thing in there, like the, I'm struggling with the same thing. Like I know, I know that the value of classroom time would be huge, but I also know like we only have so much time and I don't want not only for the sake of my, my, my players, uh, but also my assistant coaches and then also me and my family. Like I don't want to be practicing for three hours, including classroom time. Like that's just, that's too much. And, and so one of the things you mentioned is like having a short practice, like hour and a half. So, well, then that's the next thing that I struggle with is I would love to do that. But then I think of like, man, by the time we're done with J bands and warming up and playing catch, like we're 30, 40 minutes into practice. And I'm like, that's half our practice. Then, like how baseball is such a, and I don't, you know, maybe other sports are are the same or I don't really know. I just, I know baseball, but I know it's just like, it's so hard because I explained to other coaches like, man, like 45 minutes of our practice is what it takes just to be ready for us to actually then practice. (laughs) And and so it's really hard to keep it short. It is. My athletic director came to me one day and he's like, why is practices baseball so long? And he's like, they're like three, (laughs) three and a half hours. I was like, I was like, come out and watch. And he watched and uh, he was like, yeah, you kind of need that stuff. And then the head softball coach is uh, the assistant track coach. And he was walking uh, behind the fence, heading to the, the throwers event. And, he goes, he was just watching. We don't do tons of first and third defenses because we kind of bunt a ton anyway. So we're just kind of naturally good at it. And he's like, mm-hmm. baseball is just so different. He's like, no wonder practices take so long. I'm like, yeah, because in softball, there's no first and thirds. You don't have to hold a runner on. No. Um, there's, it's crazy. Baseball is the best game in the world. It really is. It's very complicated, which tends to make, you know, makes practices very, difficult to keep short and installing things and then you know how much do we practice it this week or not and everything like that like there's just so much that goes into it then you add in bullpens and then you add in like we actually have to get the field ready and then (laughs) after we have to put the field to bed afterwards i'm like there's another like 15 minutes to just like just time keeps adding up so i'm in the same boat like i'm struggling with it of i i know classroom time is valuable i know it would be good for our kids but I also just know that time is also really precious too. And so at some point you have to make sacrifices somewhere. And I don't know. I, you know, I suppose classroom time could be short and quick, 10, 15 minutes, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the same boat of trying to figure out like what we could do to kind of take advantage of that and what else we could kind of cut out to make it right. work. I don't know. Whenever, whenever you find it out, uh, shoot me an email and yeah Uh, i'll let you know um so i you know one thing that came up in this conversation that i'm trying to wrap my mind around and maybe i missed this before maybe i just this is truly the first time i learned about it you said you're an assistant softball coach also uh yes actually i that's a i was last year so because i had a son he's 16 months old i'm actually this year just got changed i'm the 
head middle school coach, but uh, the past two years I was the assistant softball coach. How 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 does that work time wise? Are they? I mean, I'll just to get like here in Oregon, like our our softball teams and and baseball teams are playing games on the same days and same times and everything. How does that work? Softball's in the fall. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, it's in the fall during football season. So that's interesting. Really easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that makes it really it's okay. So you know, you know, obviously by by you're you're not the necessarily assistant softball coach hitting this next year with the kiddo, but um, what you know for somebody who is who's obviously coached it and coaches it, what what are some of the like big things that are really different between baseball and softball? Well, I'm probably going to not answer this the way you like, but I would say. Nothing actually, except for the spin of, I mean, pitching dominates, whoever, whoever you have in the circle obviously dominates, but, um, I teach, I teach the swing the same, maybe a little flatter. Um, but you feel the ground ball the same way. Everything just happens quicker, I guess, if you will. Um, I had the girls take ground balls on a, on a stopwatch for my guys. I really don't because you at least have a time to maybe get one shuffle off in baseball um, or softball. It's catch and release. Um, it's just faster. Yeah, and probably not the answer you're looking for, but not much. Not no. Much. That actually, that actually is kind of what I thought you might say. Um, I just didn't want to phrase it as like, "Hey, what's the same?" So uh, yeah, that's one of the big debates. Well, it's not even really a debate, I guess. Really, it's just is the is the swing different? And I think we've gotten to the point finally where people are like, "No, the swing is essentially the same." Yep. You alluded to like obviously the trajectory of the pitch might change it to where you might not be as big. A, you might be a little bit more um, level, and that's a horrible word to use. But you might be a little <laughs> bit more level, yeah. right? But uh, but yeah, it's it's come a long way, and I think it's been really cool because you know we just had the College World Series wrap up a little while ago, and we had to see or we got to see both baseball and softball be really popular and especially softball you've, you've probably seen the graphic pop up on yeah. twitter that it had just a, an incredibly huge amount of people watching it which is which is really cool and it's kind of opened the doors for people to experience it and like i said here in oregon baseball and softball for high school happen at the same time so i've maybe seen like one high school softball game in my entire life because they're always at the same time but um getting to watch the college softball on tv is amazing and you're right. It is unbelievably fast. Yeah. Like just, yes. it, it, it's, it's almost like every infielder is basically like you feel the ball and you need to, you need to already be throwing it to first yeah. base. Basically it's mind blowing how quick that game is. I love it. I love it. It was, it was fun. Um, I, I do like baseball more, but I did fall in love with, with softball. So well, I, I I don't have anything specific left, um, but one thing I, I I do want to bring up because we never kind of talked about it yet is the parent side of things. Not necessarily looking for bad stories or anything like that, but just in terms of at Wright City, um, what are your philosophies towards? parents and getting parents involved in the program or not, or having conversations with parents about, um, I don't know, playing time or anything like that. Um, have you, have you had any of that pop up in your first few years? Um, I have not. Um, my first year was probably the, the toughest in regards that I, like I said, I had some seniors that thought they should be mm. playing mm -hmm. over some, some freshmen. Um, the freshmen ended up being a all conference, second team, all district player. But, uh, like I said, Coach Horn and CBC said you only have 
uh, one chance to be a first-time head coach. And so I ended up kicking that gentleman off the team, that senior, and he was probably our best pitcher. And just because of his attitude and, and work ethic, and it wasn't Mudita, if you will. And so mm. um, that next year I kind of had a, a parent meeting that it wasn't like my way or the highway type of talk, but things are a little different um, because it's not pay to play like uh, select teams are, right? Yes, you try out to, to play for Wright City, but um, when wins and losses dictate whether or not you have a job technically as a, as a varsity coach, um, things are a little different. And so um, I think they kind of got that. But in regards to parent involvement, I kind of just asked parents to, to kind of help out with, with whatever. So there's a mom that um, comes to every game and she runs our scoreboard. And then um, one of the kids, grandpa's comes to every game. He runs my, or he doesn't run, but he, he keeps my book. And then one thing that Wright City kind of does differently, maybe in regards to fundraising, is kind of backtracking a little bit, but is our booster program, I guess they have trouble finding help like for other sporting events. And so they will give whatever program works a an event, they will give that program $100 and per event. And so one of my moms volunteered her time and worked uh, 10 volleyball games during the season because that's in, in the fall. And, and so she could watch baseball, but that's $1,000 into the baseball account um, just from the booster program needing people to run these these events. So that was kind of a big um, fundraiser for us. But luckily, I haven't had much problem or um, people have wanted to help. Um, I don't set up our end of the year banquet. I have um, lovely baseball moms that that want to make everything look pretty because they don't want me doing <laughs> it. Um, and maybe I, maybe it's just because I'm like, if you guys, I just throw it out there. If you guys want to help, let me know. I can probably find something for you. But I don't make it um, mandatory to to do anything along those lines. Yeah, that's awesome. We have uh, that happens quite a bit where you can get. Um, different sporting events within the high school. This is kind of a good secret fundraiser that uh, some coaches may or may not know about, but it is a, it is a nice one where it's, it's pretty easy and it's like, you know, they need workers for games and uh, you just have the money go to your baseball account and make a little bit of money for pretty much no effort on your end. It's pretty nice. Right. Um, anyway. Yeah. We're big fans of big fans of easy, yeah. uh, easy fundraisers that <laughs> don't require us to do much of anything, which is nice because uh, we're so busy with everything anyway. So um, Ryan loved having you on before I let you go. You know, like I do with everybody just wanted to hand the mic over to you one more time. If there's anything we missed or advice for young or old coaches or anybody or, or whatever, just kind of hand it over to you and, and let you take it away. No, I appreciate the time. Um, it's a pleasure to to get uh, Wright City out there because um, my boys are putting in the work, and it's kind of showing off for the for the season. So, anytime to get recognition from my guys is awesome. Um, thanks to to Levi for uh, a conference. Rob put my name out there. Maybe he put my name out there because he wanted to hear my my tips and tricks. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but. Uh, I couldn't do anything without without my um, 
my wife and my assistant coaches and administration at Wright City because I've had a lot of buy-in, which um, everybody around me makes me look good. So, um, yeah, thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Another absolute stud, Ratty Ball is alive and well in Missouri. If you could do a few things really quickly, I'd appreciate it a ton. First, if you haven't joined the club yet, go ahead and do it. It takes about 90 seconds to sign up. You'll become part of the premier national organization of high school coaches, trainers, administrators, parents, players, and more. And you'll get the weekly newsletter straight to your inbox for free every single Wednesday. You can do that by heading over to highschoolcoachesclub.com, where you can also pick up some stickers for your podium, lawnmower, dashboard, or wherever you want. And if you wouldn't mind, it would mean a ton to me if you left a rating, possibly even a review, right before you share this thing on social media. Thanks so much. Huge fist bump to Ryan Raderman for jumping on the call with me. And thanks again to Netting Pros for sponsoring the episode. And of course, to you for clicking that play button. If you have any recommendations for people who should be guests on the show, be sure to reach out to me, even if that recommendation is you. Follow the club on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at HS Coaches Club. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Max Price and can reach me via email, max at highschoolcoachesclub.com. All right, that's all I got. You're awesome. You matter. Thanks for all you do. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you.